Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dean Ash from Oklahoma. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis. And this is episode 11, which is January 15th, 2019. We've made it to 11 Yay. episodes, Carol. Woohoo! That's wonderful, Dee. What'd you do today? Well, today, you know, the big hit show that's on Netflix is Marie Kondo's uh, Tidying Up, which is based on her book. And she goes around to people and tells them how to get rid of their stuff, basically. So I Marie Kondo'd my plants in the greenhouse Dee, today. you will never believe what I did this afternoon before this call. What did you do? I did the same thing in my sunroom. No way. I moved all my plants out of my windows, and I moved some out to the greenhouse, got rid of anything that was dead. Did you do kind of the same thing? I did. I got rid of, um, there was a dead plant I got rid of, and then I had some plastic pots that I gave myself the permission to recycle. I uh, got my Lily of the Valley pips, so I potted those up. That's what started the whole thing. Oh, me too. I got mine in last night and I said, oh, I got to find a pot for these and some potting soil. And then I just started Marie condoing the whole place. Well, I'm not quite done, but I had four houseplants that were still in what I call their retail containers that were begging for a nice, lovely clay pot. And so I potted all those up while I was out there and I just kind of cleaned up the leaves on some of them and just sort of gave them a little primping and you know, like you say, I got rid of some things that were just sitting there in the way. They weren't giving me joy. They were not sparking joy. And if they don't spark joy, it's okay to get rid of a plant that does not spark joy. You do not have to feel bad that your aunt Gracie gave it to you. I just made that name up. But whoever, you do not have to feel bad about this. And if stuff dies, put it on the compost pile. Unless, of course, it has diseases, then throw it away. Yeah, I got a bag of stuff it's already thrown away. It's too cold here to go out to the compost pile. Really? <laughs> well, it's not too cold here today, although we're supposed to have snow this weekend. This has been the craziest winter. Half the time it's in the 50s, and the other half the time it's 19. So needless to say, I've had some disasters with my house plants this year and my hyacinth bulbs, but we can save that for another podcast. I planted up my pips. You planted your pips. We're doing good. We are doing great, and we have snow on the ground here. It's a typical January day, which kind of makes me happy to have a typical winter day, but we're not going to just talk about winter and weather and houseplants. We're going to talk about flowers now, right, Dee? Yes, we're going to talk about spring flowers, spring blooming trees. I just did a whole article on it for Oklahoma Living Magazine, and I thought we should also talk about that with our listeners because those are flowers, right? They are flowers. So what did you find out? Well, I um, have a lot of spring blooming trees in my world because I love them so much and I grow so many different types. But let's talk first about Oklahoma's state tree because it is the harbinger. Is that how you pronounce that? Yes. Harbinger? That's how I harbinger do it. Harbinger of spring, which is, means it's the herald. It's the herald of spring. And uh, our red buds, the Oklahoma red bud is actually... Circus uh, Canadensis Texensis variety Oklahoma, which makes me laugh out loud because, as you know by that little name, you know we're all supposed to have botanical Latin, so we all know certain things about plants. Well, you can tell a lot from this one. It is a 
that tree goes from way up north all the way down south. And the Texans, they found this particular variety of redbud in Texas first. Um, But then Oklahomans found another variety that has a little different shade of purple, and they slapped their name on it too, which is the eternal war between Texas and Oklahoma all the time. Wow. Over here in Indiana, we had no idea. We just call it Circus Canadensis. Yeah, that's the term for the eastern redbud. And so any any eastern redbud is Circus Canadensis. But if it's found in Texas and it's that particular one, it's Texensis. And then on top of that, it is cultivar Oklahoma. There's a bunch of named cultivars, too, of that particular tree, which we don't have to go into. But it's a it's a wonderful tree, and it's one of the first things to bloom in spring. It's one of the first things to bloom here in Indiana as well. And uh, it is a nice, small landscape tree. And I had one uh, several years ago, and I said it was a nice tree, but mine fell over one day because it had borers in it. We won't go into that. But I do have one variety uh, that I really like, and I found one. It's called Ruby Falls, and it's sort of a uh, a weeping red bud, and it's... Um, I'll call it a specimen tree. So you want to put it where it can be nice and showy and and uh, has these branches that kind of weep down and beautiful flowers. A little bit bigger than the, the regular um, species. Right. And also, well, the regular species gets really big in Oklahoma because I guess it has more summer days. But you have to plant them here. They like waterways and they like a little bit of shade and they are still also a specimen tree or a shade loving tree you know that grows an understory tree that grows under something else um one more thing about them i'll share my favorite one and that's called the rising sun um that's its trademark oh, that's a good name one. and it's uh one of my very favorite trees it's planted right next to my driveway in the shade of an oak and it it's one of the first ones to bloom and it has these gorgeous kind of orangey apricot leaves that come out in spring and they turn lime green in the summer that is an excellent variety they have that a lot around here too well now what's the state tree of indiana well the state tree of indiana is the tulip tree liriodendron tulipifera which is a mouthful. It's yeah. a poplar. Uh, the tulip poplar. Yeah, the tulip poplar. We call it the tulip tree. And it does bloom, but the tree is so tall and the blooms are so far up into the branches that it's not that often that people remark about the stunning tulip flowers on the tree, which look like tulips. Oh, how pretty. Green tulips. Well, you know, you could plant something instead if you want that same kind of look. You could plant a deciduous magnolia, which was another tree I read about in that article, because deciduous magnolias like Jane lose their leaves, unlike the southern magnolia. They tend to be more hardy further north, and they have tulip-shaped that particular style has a tulip-shaped bloom that is a lovely kind of pinkish purple. And it comes in other colors, too. Yeah, Jane is a great one. My neighbor has Jane, and it is a really, it's a deep rosy pink, and I love that. And a couple years ago, I went to the garden center, and it's like they knew I was coming. So they had magnolia butterflies in bloom, which is a buttery mm. yellow flower, and I just... I just like melted right there like butter and I had to buy that thing. And so I'm walking around the garden with this big tree trying to figure out where I was going to stick it in there somewhere. But I was determined to have that thing. It was so beautiful. You've never done that. 
That, yeah, never. That's never happened. In fact, I have three butterfly magnolias that I have a question for you about them, though, because you're sometimes you're smarter than me. Sometimes I'm not, but what's your question? <laughs> okay, my question is, I planted these three, and they were twigs when I got them because I had to get them through mail order, and they've grown beautifully, and they're in semi-shade, but they have never bloomed, and they've been there about six <gasps> years now. I know. What's the point, really? Oh, Exactly. Well, I bought mine as a as a tree, um, and I paid a oh, you bought a tree price, so they're not inexpensive. Its second spring was this past spring, and it bloomed just lovely. And so I don't know if it's a maturity thing that those haven't bloomed, or whether it's because they're in the shade. Mine is not in a lot of shade. It'll get some shade later in the summertime, but it blooms early enough that not anything else is shading it. That's what I'm wondering about mine. Is that are they in too much shade? At first I thought, okay, they're just too small, but they leaf out just fine. They just don't ever bloom. So I'm wondering if it's too much shade. Where did you put yours? It's kind of, I found sort of a, an area between a couple of flower borders. It's sort of like a curve in the lawn and I just decided to plant it there. So it's just sitting in its own little circle in the lawn. I think that's pretty smart because my Jane Magnolia that I have, it gets a lot of sun and it's very, very happy even down in Oklahoma, even in the hot. It's on the west side of the house. So my thought is I think they're just in the wrong place, but that means I got to dig them up. And they're pretty big now. Well, and my recommendation would be that uh, you, if they don't bloom this spring, I would maybe do some root pruning, pruning later in the summer to get them ready to be moved. And then next early winter, I would go ahead and get one of those strong men around your place to dig those three up and give them a sunny location and go from there. I think that may be what I need to do. Good idea on the root pruning. So shall we talk about vegetables? Not really, but sort of. Well, we're going to talk about flowering things that give you fruit to eat. So we're going to call those vegetables Right. But they're really fruits. They're really fruit, but that doesn't matter. We're going to talk about both of those. So here, the most popular fruit tree to grow are peaches. Um, they're very, very popular. Of course, they get peach borer, but the people still really, really love them. And one thing we need to discuss, I have a, I have a peach tree in my yard. I used to have two of them. Peach trees are not really long-lived trees. If the fruit borers don't get them, eventually they just die. They're kind of like redbuds. Redbuds last about 20 years. So I lost one of my peach trees to borers. The other peach tree I didn't. My thing on traditional fruit trees is I have a whole bunch of them. I have three apple trees, a cherry. They don't call them sour cherry trees anymore. They call them tart cherries because they thought that people did not like the word sour. So I have a Montmorency tart cherry tree. And, uh, I had two peach trees. I also have some native plum trees, which are Mexican plums. But the thing about traditional fruit trees is they're a lot of work. And so when I was young, they are, (laughs) when I was young, I planted a bunch and I did all the things that you're supposed to do. Like I researched about apples because apples have to have cross pollination, but being so you got to make sure your apples will pollinate each other in the right term time of the year, which is a little bit complicated, but I did it. But here's the thing. I've only had one crop of apples in 14 years. So unless you're just absolutely in love with the apple blossoms and the idea of having apple trees, if I've only gotten one crop in 14 years, that I'm not going to keep that around. But I have a small suburban uh, garden, so I just can't keep stuff that's not going to perform well. So I have had apple trees 
and I research for disease resistance because I just do not like to spray. And every one of them came down with fire blight, and two of them were so bad that I had to cut them down. And the third one was kind of moseying along, and it produced some of the nastiest-looking apples. And I thought, I just don't have space for this. So I ripped them out. Yeah. Which I've been known to do. Yeah, I rip out things sometimes, too. I'll say this much. Um, All of my trees are very fire blight-resistant and also cedar apple rust-resistant because we have eastern red cedars here which are actually a juniper but it causes cedar apple rust so mine are very disease resistant and here's the thing i really love the blooms it's a little corner of my front yard and it's so beautiful in the spring and then the peach trees bloom because the apple trees bloom and they're kind of pink and white and then the peach tree blooms and it's this beautiful pink and so even though i don't get apples it's kind of worth it to me but I do get cherries and I do get peaches every year. So there's that. Well, and another good reason for you to keep your apple trees around is for your bees. Exactly. My honeybees love my apple trees. So for that reason alone, there we go. Now I have a good excuse to keep them. Yay. And as your honeybees increase and multiply, it is quite possible that you'll see a better apple production in the future. They certainly could be. What usually does it in for my apples is late freezes because Oklahoma is really bad about late freezes. So I usually lose them to that. That is a big, bit of a risk here in Indiana. Our apple trees bloom a little bit later than yours. And most years they're not wiped out by frost. But I remember uh, several years ago we had a late, 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 late frost and it just decimated the apple orchards around here and I remember seeing on TV a guy that owned an orchard and he was in tears. He basically had lost a year's income because of the late frost. The farmer's life is not easy. No. And with peach trees here in Indiana, you really want to get one that is hardy and blooms a little bit later because peach trees more than likely are going to be hit by frost and then you don't get a very good peach production. So it's kind of a, yeah, maybe, maybe not the best option. Yeah. And here peaches bloom a little bit later. So we aren't as likely to lose peaches or cherries as much as we are apples, but, and we should say that peaches are self-fertile, but they do work better if you've got a second peach tree, they're even more fertile. And so you can have one peach tree or you can have two peach trees. If you're going to plant two, I would do two different varieties, and that way you'll get different types of peaches. Mine were two different varieties until I lost the one. As for my cherry tree, it just fertilizes itself, and it's a happy, happy little plant. So I get cherries every year. Well, another fruit tree that I have two of in my garden because you need two different varieties for cross-pollination, I have the pawpaw. Yes, which is a native tree, and it's native to Oklahoma, too. Yeah, the native pawpaw, and um, they're not very old. I've only had them in the garden. I think this will be their fourth spring, and uh, the one has had blooms, and I haven't seen blooms on the others, but it must be blooming somewhat because of the cross-pollination. It's not a showy bloom. It's a dark maroon color, and it's kind of pollinated by flies and things like that. Uh, But I have gotten fruit. I haven't been able to taste it because the raccoons have gotten the fruit right before me. Yeah, the raccoons are amazing in their ability to time all crops like corn, uh, figs, anything that you like to eat, raccoons like to eat, including chicken, but we won't go there. And they get to it right when you think, oh, tomorrow I'm going to pick that. 
Then the raccoons swoop in that night before and take it from you. I hate them. I hate them too. I hate them with a real passionate hate. But that they're cute as little bugs ears, but they're not good creatures to have around because they are voracious no. in their ability to eat and they have little hands, but we won't go into that either. Yeah, I'm sorry you haven't had a pawpaw. I would like to try one. I've never had one. I will try one next fall. You remember last podcast, I talked about I cut down my grapevine. I was going to plant something to replace it. Are you ready? I am ready. This was going to be the surprise. So you tell me what you were going to plant. I can't wait to hear this. I'm going to plant honeyberries. I know nothing about honeyberries. So I'm kind of excited to hear about this. Tell me more. So the honeyberry is a type of honeysuckle. It's native uh, to the northern hemisphere it's it's found more north of here but it is hardy all the way to zone seven so i think you might be too hot for honeyberries but it's a shrub and um the botanical name is lenincera cerulea and it's here's a new word for you it is circumpolar which means it's native around the polar cap so they find it in Japan and Russia and Canada, and it's native to all those, so it's circumpolar. So honeyberries don't like heat. No, they don't probably like heat. Mm. So honeyberries would not be good for Oklahoma, but they might be really good for Indiana. Yes, and they, they grow from three feet to eight feet, depending on the variety, and you do need a couple of varieties to cross-pollinate. And they're um, a shrub that you should plant in a row because... They also flower pretty early, and mine usually flower in middle of April. And they said to ensure cross-pollination that the bees and pollinators are still a little bit weak from winter, and to ensure that they get from one plant to the next, you should kind of plant them in a row. Huh. Versus my, my, two, my two pawpaws are at opposite ends of the vegetable garden, but they seem to get pollinated okay. How interesting. So they want you to be able to let the early pollinators find them. So what generally pollinates honeyberries? Are they bees or hoverflies or You know what? I'm not exactly sure. I'm going to I'm going to think bees, but nobody should quote me on that. Yeah. The other thing about the honeyberry that's great for my area is it's sort of a blueberry substitute because it does it does not require the acid soil of blueberries. And I have more alkaline soil, so they should do well. And I have two that have been growing for a couple of years. They're not the fastest growers, but I'm kind of excited to plant um, like a row of them and sort of define the border of the vegetable garden from the rest of the garden. It's interesting that you brought up blueberries because, you know, my soil is also alkaline and I grow all of my blueberry bushes in uh, pots. And so I grow some of the varieties that are specifically bread for pots um there's there's several different brands out there now that you can get the smaller smaller blueberry that's not a low bush it's still a high bush but it grows well in pots and i had a big old crop of blueberries last year i i think that's because of the bees probably and i've tried to grow uh blueberries in a raised bed and tried to acidify the soil and you know, it was it was just not worth it because, once again, we are lazy gardeners and we don't want to have to acidify soil all the time. No, I don't mind acidifying a no. potting soil, but I'm not going to... I did all that stuff where I acidified soil in raised beds 20 years ago and figured out pretty quickly that it took a lot to get it to work and I never could get it right. And so it was like, I'm not doing that. But I do it for my 
I do it for right. my blueberries that are in my pot. So I'm excited about your honeyberries. Where did you buy those? Well, I'm getting ready to order them from Stark Brothers, which is where I buy uh, bought the other honeyberries and where I bought the pawpaws. And uh, it's a great source for a lot of um, fruit trees, grapes, honeyberries. If it has fruit on it, Stark Brothers has it. Right. That's where I got both of my, um, well, no, all three of my apple trees were from Stark Brothers. And also my cherry trees. I got those from there, too. They've done great. It's a great company and really nice people. Yes. So anyway, I will keep you posted. They uh, looks like when I looked at the website that they'll ship them right around the end of March, beginning of April, which I should have that bed all cleaned up and ready for them. Woohoo! By then, that'll be neat. I can't wait. I wish my bees could come visit your honeyberries. They would love that. But alas, you can put your bees on a truck, your hives, like they do, and drive them around. <laughs> no, I'm also not no, only no. not only am I a lazy gardener, but I'm a lazy beekeeper. I just uh, take care of them here, and I am going to get one more package this year so that I'll have two hives, but we can talk about that another day, too. I'm excited. I love beekeeping. It's kind of scary, but I love it. So you got some dirt for us today, something interesting in the horticultural world that you found? I did. I found a really interesting article that was in the National Geographic, um, and we will put link to this in our show notes. It was published on September 26, 2018, so this is recent. So they found this tree, and it's uh, and since we were talking about spring-blooming trees, this tree bloomed 92 million years ago. And this particular tree that was uh, a flowering tree that was in Utah. It was probably 170 feet tall in life, and it had, uh, they said that its petrified log was six feet wide and 36 feet long. That's just a piece of the log. So it's considered, it's twice as tall as Utah's tallest living tree. Of course, this is a fossil, and I cannot pronounce this word. I'm going to give it a try. You ready? This is its I'm ready. This is the family it belongs to. It's an ancient genus, Paraphyllon thoxylon. Ooh, I did okay. Not too bad. I'm sure it's not exactly right. You did. It's probably paraphyllon. I've never heard of it. Thoxylon. Well, the reason you've never heard of it is because it's an ancient genus known from other fossils. So it's not one we talk about much now. But anyway, this tree's existence made them realize that they didn't have their trees as old as they should be. This variety of tree, by finding this, it pushed it back 15 million years. That is interesting. Where's that in Utah that they uh, found that? Let's see. It just says Central Utah. So Central Utah. And they found it, in a, and they found the trunk is what they found. So they think a giant windstorm blew the tree over. It ended up down in a lake. And then it got preserved, which is one of the coolest things there ever was. And so they have this great quote, um, this great quote from a woman named Nan Crystal Ahrens, and she is a paleobotanist. I didn't know there were paleobotanists, but I thought that was really I cool. I did know that. You did? I didn't know that. And so she said it's not necessarily surprising that there that this tree is that old. She said because there is a rich angiosperm flora at that time. I don't even know what she's talking about, really, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. It's still a really cool article. So that's my dirt for the day. What's your dirt? Well, my dirt is there. there's actually a living tree that's the oldest tree east of the Mississippi that I have been to visit. 
and it is called what? the Angel cool. Oak. It's the Angel Oak, and it's on St. John's Island off the coast of uh, South Carolina. Oh, I'm sorry, it's just John's Island off the coast of South Carolina, and it's estimated to be four or 500 years old. And it's wow! It's sixty-six and a half feet tall, and the trunk measures twenty-eight feet in circumference. Wow, that's a big tree. That's also a big tree. And the, there's a rose like that too somewhere. And if you look it up, you'll see that the branches just really extend out, and they've got them all kind of propped up. And I was actually there with some friends who didn't garden, and they're like, "What are we going to go see?" I says, "We're going to go see the." you know, the world's largest oak tree. And so they're like, (laughs) okay. And at the time, I think you had to pay a dollar because it's behind a fence. I, they even made me pay their dollars to go see this thing. (laughs) So I paid, it was three bucks. (laughs) That was a long time ago. Wow. A long time ago. (laughs) And, um, it was really cool. It's huge. And so if you're ever in Charleston and don't don't miss out on St. John's, or not St. John's. I keep saying St. John's. John's Island. St. John's is in the, St. John's is in the Caribbean. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> not there. John's Island off the coast of Charleston, South Carolina. Go see the Angel Oak. It's Quercus Virginiana. And it's worth the side trip. No matter the cost. Oh, Cool. Which we still have that, don't we still have that oak tree? Like, it's it's a fairly common type of oak tree, Oh, yeah, right? it's fairly common. Versus Virginiana. Yeah, and, that's what I thought so. And you think about four or 500 years, how many hurricanes and storm events and that it's lived through and how much history it's seen. It's just amazing. It's something that old is still that alive. That is amazing. That's my dirt on trees. I think today's dirt was especially interesting. Yes, but we're kind of plant geeks. <laughs> yeah, we are, and we love botany. We both have a yes. whole lot of botany in our background, so it's our favorite. Well, at least it's my favorite. What's your favorite about horticulture? Do you like botany best, or do you like something else? I cannot. What's my favorite? Oh, I love everything about it. I can never. What's my, I don't know. I love it all. That's, that's. Yeah, me that's, too. I just cannot zero in on one thing. I love my old hose. I love my old books about gardening. I love gardening. I love, like today, you know, just messing around with the houseplants. And you just feel a thousand times better about life after you've done that, don't you? Oh, definitely. When I went out, because I was really dreading going out and dealing with my uh, greenhouse because we had a disaster at the beginning of the season. So I lost my two Spanish lavender topiaries. And I was kind of sad about that, so I ignored them all winter. But then today I pulled them out, and I told them goodbye. I gave them a little touch, as Marie Kondo would say, and I said, thank you. Sorry, I killed you, and went on. <laughs> so, yeah, it made me feel a lot better. A touch, a hug, a goodbye kiss, and off to the compost pile they went. Exactly. Where they will rot and live to serve another way. Yes, they will become part of the food web, and that's a good thing. So it's all good. It's all good. It is good. Well, that's about all we have for today, Dee. You want to tell folks how they can find us online? You can find us online all over the place. We're on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can email us at thegardenangelists at gmail.com. In fact, one of our listeners has asked us to do a podcast on all of our old gardening books, which sounds really interesting. We, I think we are going to do that. 
maybe next time. Who knows? And so yes. um, there's just, is there another way? Oh, Twitter. Don't forget to find us on Twitter. One of these days we're going to start a website, which we haven't done yet, but that will just contain show notes too. And you can find us on iTunes, of course, and you can leave us a lovely review so that people can find us too. Sounds like you covered it all, Dee. That's it for this episode. Bye, Carol. We'll be back next week. Bye, Dee. It. I've made Bill start listening to it.